0: to Episode 13 of the ATL Podcast. Uh, it's the Labor Day long weekend and I'm here with NAB to talk about the, the recent games that happened uh, the last two days. Game 3 of the Raptors, Boston Series, uh, Game 3 of the Heats, and Buck Series and some news with Canadian basketball and our very own Steve Nash. So before we get into this, NAB, what's going on baby? What's
1: going on, man? I'm doing well. Labor Day long weekend. I got nothing planned, and I love it. The last three weeks, you know, it's been go, 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 uh, going here, going there, but it's so nice to just have a weekend off and um, just to take in all the all the exciting stuff that's happening in sports. I've never been so excited to just sit back, relax, and just watch all the games that are at hand.
0: Yeah, same here, man. Same here. It's been uh, a busy summer, so it's going to be nice to just have two, three days to watch some basketball, watch some playoffs. And yeah, watch our boys play Game Four today at 6:30, and you know hopefully get that W. But yeah, let's talk about the the elephant in the room, the most exciting thing that happened in the last two days, uh, Game Three, Raptors Celtics. Give me your thoughts, Kyle Lowry. Those are my thoughts. <laughs> he, he
1: from the from the minute the game tipped off, he had a he had a pace that he wanted to play at, and. The rest of the team matched it all game. They had a, they played exceptionally well, but obviously led by Kyle Lowry, obviously led by Fred VanVleet, our guard play really kept us in the game. We still didn't shoot the best, but um, he just persevered. He was doing everything on the offensive end, the defensive end, and obviously that brilliant pass over Taco Fall. The more that I watch it, I'm just so blown away by how difficult and how accurate that pass was, right into the hands of OG and an Obi. But. Um, I think everything, the underlying the underlying success behind that team was Kyle Lowry. Uh,
0: absolutely, 100% agree on that. They didn't play very well in the first half, uh, Celtics came out pretty strong. Uh, I believe they had a 10 point lead going to the half and I think the turning point for that game was when we went zone and they put cancer in. Uh, I think they wanted just a, a bigger, bigger guy who's going to be able to get those boards, but we were able to we were able to put him in a pick and roll. He's notoriously a really bad defender, and I think we scored six, eight points in a row. I think we were yeah we were down ten, we tied it when he was um, on the court, and then they finally took him off. So we were able to get that momentum. So I know people were talking about uh, Brad Stevens and some of the coaching dec- decisions that he made during the the final shot there with OG. But I think what we should talk about was how bad of a decision it was to play Cantor, who didn't play at all in the first three games, or sorry, in the first two games, and then throwing him out, the, out there, kind of putting him on an island with Fred Van Vliet, uh, Kyle Lowry, and Gasol uh, in the pick and roll, which I think was the defining moment in the in the second half of that, uh, of that game.
1: No, no doubt. Um, this game reminded me a lot of the... Toronto Raptor-Milwaukee game last year when we went to overtime. This this was kind of one of those games where okay, our guards got us through. Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Fleet played out of their mind um, in order to get us the W because if you really look at the sequence of events before the shot, the last two minutes, Lowry and Van Fleet were getting to the bucket and getting really tough shots off around the rim. Um, but it's not a recipe for success. I feel like you know, I don't feel like we can get that production out of them for the next three games. And I feel as though um, this sort of just bought us a lifeline. And it's up to Norman Powell, it's up to Marcus Gasol, up to OGN and to now step up to the plate and start playing basketball that we expect them to play.
0: Yeah, I think Norm uh, can be the X factor in this whole thing. He hasn't played well at all, all series. He just hasn't been able to get into the rhythm. I know he got into foul trouble Uh, Last game, he picked up three early ones uh, in the first half and never got into the rhythm. And then they just stuck with the six, uh, the six players, the five starters, and the Nabaka. Um, Same with Siakam, never got got into rhythm, picked up three early fouls in the second or in the first half, and it was kind of a repeat of game one, where again he had early early foul trouble, never was able to get into the rhythm. But I will give him props for even though he only scored two points in the first half, he kept shooting, he kept looking for a shot, and he ended up with 16, was able to kind of get in the flow a little more in the second half, and I think that's going to be able to help him just build his confidence uh, for the game tonight. And, you know, I'm really hoping that he comes out strong, plays plays aggressive, and even though he's not making those threes, not making the mid-range, he just has to find a way to attack the rim, get Jalen Brown in some sort of foul trouble, because, honestly, he's been getting sunned, Jalen Brown Jalen Brown is playing him as good as anyone can play Siakam right now so I'm looking forward to that I think he's going to have a big game and if the Raptors want to win this series they have to win this game because they have all the momentum on their side right now and if Siakam isn't able to bring it then I don't think Lowry and Van Vliet can keep up this level of play because they're playing 46-47 minutes uh last game and they're 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 just they're just getting run to the ground right now, and we needed that W, obviously. Can't go down 3-0, but um, we definitely need production from Norm Powell to kind of uh, give some relief to Fred Van Vliet and Lowry, and then have another bench guy come out. Abaka has to play a little better. Um, Gasol is struggling really hard, shooting the ball. You can just tell by his just body language, the way he's shooting, just not confident at all. He hasn't made a three against the Celtics all season, so I'm not sure how many games that, like six, seven games they've played so far, and hasn't made a three, so that's that's hurting us, so if he's able to knock down a few shots, get in the rhythm, Ibaka, just kind of high pick and roll with Lowry, and kind of like establish that mid-range game, then I think we're in a good position, we have all the momentum uh, with us right now, and if we're able to squeak out this game here, then it's a brand new series.
1: Yeah, I mean... We haven't been playing bad defense this entire series except for game one. Our defense has been top-notch the entire playoff series so far. Um, What I find, though, is we're playing Boston's guards as good as you can play them. They're just world-class in terms of guard play. They have four guys on the court at all times that can shoot, pass, and dribble. And I find like the one thing that we are lacking are more dynamic guards. Norman Powell is a one-dimensional guard. He can he he can be a spot up shooter, he can take it to the rim, but he's not a playmaker. OG Ananobi not the greatest playmaker. Yeah. So we're re- like this is the, the scariest matchup that the Raps could have had. But I think that with the combination of their consistently good defense and one or two guys contributing on the offensive end, we can squeak by this team. Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh exactly right, because they with, even with Tatum going five or eighteen, um, they they lost by one, and Game Three was you know close, w- went down to the last shot, and we can't we're not going to probably see Tatum struggle like that for the entire series. Yeah, and the right? other
1: the other observation that I wanted to make was on the defensive end, the Raptors have to run them off the three point line. You have to run Boston off the three point line, and what that creates is, you know, Van Fleet runs x player a out of the three-point line they end up penetrating they end up kicking the ball next thing you know the raptors are scrambling while they're finding the open guy uh, boston's able to play us below the three-point line so you got five guys with the inside the three-point line at all times so um that's why they're getting so many open looks in the corner yeah you know we're getting open looks they're just not going in don't get me wrong but i feel like nine times out of ten
0: boston's getting clean open looks I feel like we're getting pretty good looks too. We're just not knocking them down at the, our like our usual uh, rate. I know we are the fifth best, fifth best uh, three point shooting team in the league at 37, uh, percent and we are struggling mightily at that, um, at that aspect of the game. I think they've been shooting around 30% uh, in the in the three games. So we're able to get close to our season average. Um, knock down some shots and open the floor a little more for Siakam, open the floor uh, for Norman Powell. I think that's going to open the game up for a lot of the guys, if we're able to knock down those shots. And a lot of the shots that Frederick Leder take, is taking right now is off the dribble. Guys are contesting it and he's he's making some of them, but a lot of them are contested shots. We, I, I feel like we need to find, Ibaka's got to get going, like again, Gasol's got to hit one or two. Just get one or two to get his confidence back. And you know, hopefully that will open the floor for a lot of the guys. But yeah, the, sorry, go ahead.
1: No, I feel like Boston's playing as good as they can possibly play um, in terms of guard play and shooting. They're playing as good as they can possibly play. Marcus Smart, um, I don't think they're going to get that type of production from him in games four and five. Um, he is streaky, but he's been pretty consistent with them. But it doesn't mean like I. But I feel like we're still right there. You know, we're still right there despite despite them playing at their ceiling. Yeah. In terms of guard play, we're still right there. Which yeah. keeps me confident. We
0: just need a couple of guys to score the ball. That's really all we need. Yeah, uh, one thing that I want to point out is that Nick Nurse made an adjustment and played, um, didn't play Terrence Davis last game and had Matt Thomas out there, which I think even though for short stints it opens the floor up a little more, and if he's able to knock down one, two, three, it's, it, it may... Changes just the game. Spark. Yeah, changes, the game, changes and, the game and gives them that spark plug that they, they need. So it'd be interesting to see if they play him uh, again today or if they go back to uh, TD3, or sorry, TD2. Um, and yeah, I know Boucher got some reps uh, uh, game three as well. So I'm wondering if they're going to stick with just Ibaka and Gasol or try to mix in Boucher too, because I know... They've been having issues with Robert Williams, super athletic center uh, for the Celtics. And he's kind of just dis- disrupted the our defense a little there. Uh, I was surprised, again, that they even put Cantor in while he was uh, healthy and be able to uh, was able to play. And Tyson's done a really good job. He's mobile, athletic. Uh, he's been playing pretty good D on the Raptors uh, in the interior. And, yeah, he's been... A pretty solid uh, player for them right now, I and mean, he's kind of a great uh, complimentary player to to the guard play that they've uh, that they've been thriving with.
1: Yeah, I mean, before we switch subjects, I just want to shout out Brad Stevens for putting an ice cold taco fall on Kyle Lowry at the end of the game, which I thought was one of the most silliest things he could have done, given the fact that players can move a little back now. On that, uh, on that inbounds pass because there's no fans anymore, right? Yeah. So Kyle Lowry got a ton of room. If you actually look at it from the angle of the pass, he wasn't really much of a distraction. Um, so it seemed a little gimmicky. And lastly, I don't know why they were playing, playing zone on an inbounds play when all they had to do was marry their man. And, uh, you know, if Jalen Brown had his, had his chest on OG Ananobi, there's no way that shot's going off. But for some reason on an inbound pass, they were playing zone, which I don't understand, but I, I appreciate him making those decisions. Yeah,
0: very questionable play. And I, and I don't think you can blame Jalen Brown on that one. It was more of communication, the, the, the miscommunication between him and Tatum. I know Tatum was on the right wing expecting Fred Blake to go to the corner. And that, that action kind of uh, got Tatum a little bit confused. So he forgot to communicate with Brown, who was supposed to kind of cover the left side where OG kind of uh, started from the right side to the to the left baseline. And again, yeah, we appreciate that that huge mental uh, mistake by that team. and yeah, they gave us they gave us some life, man. They... like Fred van Fleet said, they effed up. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right' that's, that's enough Raptor talk between last podcast and this this one've yeah. been uh, we've been all raps.
0: Yeah, 13 minutes with the Raptors. It's all right. So, yeah, game four tonight, 6.30. Hopefully they can tie it up. See how this goes, and we'll we'll do another uh, pod reaction to that uh, shortly. But let's get into the other big series in the East, the one that's surprising the entire world right now. Miami Heat versus the Milwaukee Bucks. Bucks up about 12 going into the fourth last night. And ended up losing by 15. So, Giannis played only 35 minutes. I don't know how he only plays 35 minutes as the reigning Defensive Player of the Year, going to be the uh, back-to-back MVP. Um, I don't know how he only plays 35 minutes in a crucial Game Three where you have to win. I'm not sure what Bud is doing with that. Um, Evie Melton did get it. He got like 35, 36 uh, minutes. Um, they should have just done what Nick Nurse did with the Raptors and just played them until 45, 46 minutes uh, for the game. So they had that lead. I believe they were up eight before Giannis got subbed out. And then when he came back, it was tied. And that's that was the turning point in that game. And, you know, big props to the Heat for being a just so well-run well organization, balanced team. They got Jimmy Butler as their leader. Probably the the perfect player to to complement those young young guys who have played a wonderful role in um, uh, this season. So, what were your thoughts on the game? Uh, you know, where do you think the Bucks go from here? If there's a team that can ever come back from three nothing in the bubble in this type of situation, it is probably the Bucks. So, what are your thoughts? My thoughts are that. I would have thought that Buttonholzer would have thrown the
1: kitchen sink at them in game three. And what I mean by that is just play your best players for as long as you can. And I would have thought that that would have been his uh, offensive approach for this series in general. Um, Miami's on fire, no pun intended. They are, their guards, they're, they have so many playmakers on the floor at all times. And um, they're a nightmare um, matchup-wise with the Bucks. You see, I feel like I'm watching Giannis try to do everything on the defensive end, play help side defense, and he's a great help side defender, but he's really putting it all out there, and he's getting himself into foul trouble too. Um, it's just, I don't know why buttonholes are so stubborn. It's it's pretty uh, surprising, but that's the kind of coach he is. He has a philosophy, he's sticking with it at exactly. all costs, and I think that's going to be the uh, the downfall of this team's future. It's going to be the stubbornness of the head coach, because... You know, you were steamrolling teams all season, and for some reason you refused to play your best players for extended minutes. I don't know what his long-term approach
0: is. So yeah, I, there's there's two points to that. So the Bucks were the obviously the best team in the regular season. Uh they limited Giannis's minutes to about thirty minutes per game, and he still averaged like thirty and thirteen. Um for the season, the one thing that I want to say is that they were such a dominant team all season that they never played down. They had a huge net rating um, and always blew out teams. So they were never in the situation where they were down, you know, five six points going to the fourth. They just didn't have that that experience uh, this season with that. And again, Bud, I think he just has a philosophy where he's sticking with. Um, sticking with his guns and trying to limit his players to 35, 36. But what's the point of resting Giannis throughout the regular season, playing 30 minutes a game, and now why wouldn't you just push him to 40, 40-plus 40 uh, minutes when you when your season is depending on it?
1: Yeah, and I, I, I don't know. I can't really remember, but I, I feel like there were similar underlying issues with Bunholzer in Atlanta, too, where he just had a style of play that he wanted to stick with. And they had a super talented team for like three consecutive years and they were unable to get them pa- get themselves past a th- certain threshold. Um, I think that this just – the playoffs are funny. Like even in the Raptors case, it's, it, it's so – your deficiencies become glaring in the playoffs. And with Milwaukee, it's just sad to see because they have a plethora of talent. They have the best player in the league, maybe offensively, defensively, um, an MVP um, but it's their coach getting; they can't get they can't get out of their own way because of but- Buttonholzer's um, management. Yeah, his time management, his player management. You know, they just can't get themselves out of their own
0: way. And I think a lot of the the Bucks fans and even the media downplayed the the impact that Brogdon had on that team. I think looking back now, they're really missing another playmaker um, because one. Eric Bledsoe is really not a great offensive player in terms of creating for his teammates and shooting the ball, so he doesn't complement Giannis very well. Whereas Brogdon is an ex- exceptional passer, great off the ball player, um, great defender, and I think they're they're missing his presence uh, a lot. Uh, I think if you replaced him with with Bledsoe, this team would do a lot better just because of fit. When you have the you know the Back-to-back MVP. You want to be able to build a team around him, build a build a team of, of playmakers and shooters around him, which Chris Milton isn't, um, Bledsoe really isn't, uh, Brooke Lopez obviously is not, and West Matthews and Corbett are not either. So they're missing that additional playmaker. That that they're putting all that all this pressure on Giannis to bring up the ball, create for his teammates, but who's creating for him? You know. It's just it's a lot of him trying to bowl through two, three guys doing a spin move, and the Bucs haven't figured it out. They have Bam Adebayo, Iggy Crowder, Butler. They have a strong forward, four four guard Duncan Robinson, yeah, exactly. Tyler Harold. So like they like all guys that even though individually may not be you know exceptional defenders, maybe outside of Bam and Jimmy, but they play cohesively as a team, and I think. It's funny to always hear, hey, like heat culture, heat culture. Um, you always hear that with Pat Riley, the godfather, all this stuff. But it's really showing here, like they, they put a great team around Jimmy Butler and yeah, they're up three nothing now and it's going to be a very daunting task for the Bucks to accomplish a thing that no team in the NBA history has ever done and that's come back from three nothing. Um, I believe there's like a hundred like five teams that have been in this situation. Only three teams have ever gone to game seven. But again, the Bucks are historically a very good team. They have a once-in-a-generation talent, and if there's a team that can do it, I think it's them. They have to make adjustments, obviously. And you know, I'm not sure what the odds are. I would love to see what the odds are for that. I might put, you know, put in 50 bucks and see if I can get like a 10 and 1 back on that. But yeah, it's gonna be interesting. I obviously want to see the series go to six, go to seven, just to get some knowledge on. On the Heat or even the Bucks, uh, because you know the Raptors coming out of this the second round, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see who who eventually will be the top two teams of the East uh, in the next week or so.
1: Yeah, from a from a free agency standpoint, I know that uh, the media is now starting to get get into the whole "Where is Giannis going after next season?" Um, this just this thing this makes it bad for Milwaukee fans. This and and for the organization, you know. I know Giannis. You know when you watch him, you know how competitive he is. You know how hard he works. There's no way that behind the scenes he's not raising hell about the fact that he's not being playing for. He he wants to be out there. Yeah. As, mu- as much as as much as you know, we don't know him. He's you know he's not one of ours. But you know he wants to be there.
0: There was a there was a glaring difference between his post game interview in game two and game three when uh, again the same question was asked. Uh, to Giannis, like, hey, you know, are you are you okay playing more than 35, 36 minutes game two? And he was saying that, you know, that's coach's decision. I'm going to, like, listen to coach. I'm going to trust coach's decision. And I'm going to go with what he says. And then game three, again, when he only played 30, 35 minutes in this deciding game, he was asked the same question. And he was asked, hey, are, were you able to play more than 35 minutes? And he said yes. He said yes. My ankle wasn't hurting. I could have played more. So the contrast between those two answers within two games is alarming. Obviously, as a Bucks fan, you're going to be a little worried now because you're you're kind of seeing him going against what his coach is saying. Yeah, your
1: best player is unhappy. Yeah, officially. Exactly.
0: Officially, this is it. officially this is panic mode for the for the Bucks franchise right now. They have a he, he's under contract for another year, so I'm not sure what he's able to do. I know they. We're interested in Chris Paul during the uh, the trade deadline, and I'm not sure if that's another option for them. Uh, if they do play him out in the second round here, if he's an option for them, man, if the Thunder are able to get draft picks for Chris Paul and his his, his value has never been higher, um, man, they're gonna have a again a treasure trove of first round picks to build around uh, Shea Gilges, Alexander, Lou Dortz. Uh, and that again, sorry, a little off topic, but OKC will be a very interesting team in the future to see. They have like 10 first first round picks in the next like four or five years, and uh, yeah, let's see what happens with this uh, with this Heat and Buck series. So let's get into yes another game from yesterday, Lakers Houston. I personally wasn't able to watch uh, that game, uh, but it seemed like Houston was just able to play really good D. Um, Tucker, uh, was able to contain LeBron and James Harden was able to get off 36 points. Westbrook played really well and Eric Gordon played really well. So if, man, Houston, again, uh, going to game seven against OKC, struggling with that team. And now, again, it's all m- about matchups. And if no guards on the the Lakers are able to contain Harden, Westbrook, Gordon, Covington, Tucker, then it could, be a, it could be a short series because yesterday's game, from, from the scores and from what I've like been reading and watching, um, it looked like they ha- had a pretty dominant game one against a well-rested Lakers team.
1: Yeah. I'm not writing the Lakers off with this one because it reminds me a lot about... The hype ra- reminds me a lot about the Blazers series and the, the first game outcome reminds me, obviously, a lot about the... Reminds me of the Blazers series as well. Yeah. Sometimes rest can hurt a team. Sometimes rest can get you out of your funk. I think that Houston's playing with a ton of momentum right now coming out of that OKC series. I think that last possession, that last defensive possession for Harden and the fact that he was able to come out of the, the uh, Game 7 slump that he's had historically, I think this is big for his confidence. This is big for him and the team's momentum. But you can't count out LeBron. You can't count out um, Anthony Davis and i feel as though they're obviously going to make the necessary adjustments in game 2 so we'll have to see how that pans out but you're right the thing that scares me about houston is that there's only one type of there's only one type of game there's only one way that they can play and they have to do it well and they have to do it well in a four game in a seven game series so that makes me a little concerned um, i feel as though uh, if if anyone's going to get taxed it's going to be a team that plays like them yeah, and I think that uh, you know LeBron and AD are going to bring it. So I could see this game, series going to six or seven.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, they're going to come out battling, obviously, with AD with LeBron. Um, I I didn't see how AD played, so uh, it's going to be interesting to watch Game Two and see if they're able to come back, uh, fighting. You know, because if they're down two nothing against Houston, that's a pretty big gap to get down to, too. So. Um, we'll see how that goes, and then uh, Denver, LA Clippers, yeah, um, Kwai, man, he's been playing unbelievable. I think uh, like a bit under the radar right now. This guy's averaging like 30 plus, playing wonderful defense, and he's just on track to win another Finals MVP right now. And they're looking unstoppable. They beat the shit out of Denver game one, and uh, game two happening again today. So, you know, any thoughts on that? I feel like we need to start talking about, people need to start talking about Kawhi as being the
1: best player in the world now. Oh, yeah. You know, it, I don't see it enough on, on get up, on, on first take, on part of the interruption, whatever it is. What's it going to take? You know, we, I think we're, we're reluctant to praise him because he, he does load manage during the regular season, he does pick his spots. He's masterful at picking his spots. Yeah. Man, we've witnessed it. And he comes alive in the playoffs. Yeah. Like, talk about a guy, talk about a guy that can give you five, six, seven possessions in a row, defensively or offensively, and keep you in the game. He is a playoff killer. And he's showing it these first two series have been all kawaii, and it just reminds me of last year. And uh, it's depressing, man, because he's everything that we don't have right now.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> he, he's looking fresh. He's looking fresh. I, I saw a stat. He's shooting 80% outside of the paint, but in the with, uh, within the, um, well, like 10, 18 feet line. So like outside of our, inside the three, but outside of the paint, he's shooting 80% right now. So his mid-range is just like a dunk. His mid-range shot is a dunk right now. He's just he's just taking guys off the dribble, getting to a sweet spot, raising up and just fucking, yeah, just a bucket getter right now. And he's scary now, especially with that team. Harold with a bit energized now with a six man, of the year award, uh, going to him. They yeah, got Lou Will Morris, even uh, pandemic P and Lou yeah Lou Will uh, Shamit. That team is stacked. Yeah. That team is stacked. And I read
1: something that Doc Rivers is actually using a lot of plays that he used for Paul Pierce in Boston for Kawhi. Because Kawhi's probably a top three mid-range player, if not the best yeah, mid-range the, player. The, the best. The, yeah, the absolutely. Best. The best. And so I saw that he's taking a lot of plays out of his old Boston playbook and using them for Kawhi uh, to get him into spots. The other thing, too, I have a question for you. And it, it, it just begs the question... Would you rather forego regular season accolades and be who he is in the playoffs, or would you rather try to go for it during the regular season for your for your own you know personal accolades and uh, you know tire out in the playoffs? Because it it seems that he's got a he's got a philosophy, you know he's very much willing to put a lot of regular season success on the line in order for him to get over that that playoff hump.
0: Yeah, his his reputation is. Is a guy that is the, like ask that question to any Bucks fan. Obviously, they'll, they'll say, "Yeah, give me playoff success over regular season success." They've had two one, like wonderful seasons in the regular or in the regular season, but they're playing me out on the playoffs. And yeah, Kawhi, I know his legacy is gonna be hurt by not, you know, maybe ne- never winning a regular season MVP and playing enough games to qualify for any awards. But if you're able to win three finals. MVPs and bring three championships to three different franchises then your legacy is up there somewhere and again he's still quite young he's not he's not even he's like 27 28 years old he's got many more years ahead of him and if he's able to um load manage for the next 3 4 years you don't I don't know like the clippers look strong they could have this team for 2 3 more years and they can repeat if they if they win this year so yeah man he's he's looking great and you know obviously as raptors fans Give me playoff Kawhi, give me 20 games of him in the regular season, a warm up for the playoffs, and we know he's going to give you 16 wins easy. That's his process. That's his process. So let's quickly just finish off with the news that um, kind of broke the internet the other day, uh, having our Canada's very own Steve Nash become the head coach of the Brooklyn Nets. that's a team next year that is probably going to be the East favorites to come out of our conference with Katie, with Kyrie, Dinwiddie, LeBert, who's a free agent, but you don't know if they're going to get something for him. So if they're able to put some strong shooters around that team, they have a very strong chance of coming out of the East. So what are your initial thoughts on that hire and where that team can go uh, next year and beyond?
1: The minute I saw the headline, I loved it, and the more I process it, I just love it even more, because to me, coaching is not always about experiences; about the the journey that the individual has been on. And I don't think there's a better player suited for this team than Steve Nash. He played in the seven second or seven seconds or less Suns. He was the brain behind that team. Mike D'Antoni came out and even said that you know our approach was okay. We had a philosophy, but it was. Steve Nash's job to take the ball and just run with it and do his thing. Um, he's played with some of the best. He's coached some of the best. His four-year stint in um, in Golden State, although he wasn't coaching, he was on the advisory board. And if you spent three or four seasons picking Steve Kerr's brain in that coaching staff, exactly. um, you know that add that adds to your toolkit. And I think that um, it was a very creative um, hire by Brooklyn. And it makes so much sense because you got a guy that's just a fountain of knowledge. And he's been a point guard before, which is the brain trust of the team, right? Also, from like an interpersonal level, I don't think there's a better guy suited to um, to manage Katie and Kyrie. They're sensitive guys. And a lot of the guys that were out there, the Tyron Lues, um, the Nate McMillans, the Alvin Gentrys, they're stronger personalities. And sometimes your experience will hurt you because... These players have seen how you've performed as a coach before
0: absolutely, absolutely where with
1: Steve Nash it's unclear, but what they do know is that he's a good guy and there's someone that he's someone that they could get along with and Katie obviously got along with him really well in Golden State and built that rapport
0: yeah, that's a good point. I think there obviously there's some some uh, arguments about him getting this this job and being underqualified, but when you really think about it, this guy is a two time league MVP um, Canadian national team player gm of canada basketball again being on like basically a player development coach for uh for golden state and having that uh really ship with katie i think obviously that that input from katie was instrumental to this hire so again it's it's not just a linear path to being a head coach like steve kerr where he was a gm for the suns he was in the broadcasting booth so his wealth of knowledge in that sense, got him that job with Golden State, and look where he's at right now. So I think that's a blueprint for, for Steve Nash to take as well. Again, like you said, he, was, he had the mentorship with with Kerr when he was in Golden State. So he just, he's just so smart, and he's just a personal coach, players coach definitely, and it'll be interesting to see how that team does. I think if they are able to avoid injuries, and Katie gets back to, let's say, even 70%, 80% of where where he's where he's been at as a you know finals mvp league mvp um that team is definitely going to be a team to be reckoned with i would
1: love to see a golden state brooklyn nets championship next year (laughs) um i feel like there's so much potential for that to become a rivalry and i think it'd be a beautiful thing to see um yeah i saw i saw something that steve nash actually reached out to dirk nowitzki and Dirk said he's not ready for basketball yet. That would have been a really, <laughs> that would be really cool, awesome uh, assistant coach acquisition because I just think about it. There's so much Steve Nash and Kyrie Irving at times, and there's so much Dirk Nowitzki and Kevin Durant. Yeah. So it just exactly. would, have been, it would have been great uh, mentorship yeah, that for would, those two players. That would have been a really
0: cool dynamic to, to see. And that.
1: let's not forget that, you know, with Brooklyn, it's, it's very clear that KD and Kyrie sign off on decisions. Yeah. And so they're probably very excited to have Steve Nash. I'm just so excited that Steve Nash is back in the NBA world, like on the, on the, on the front of the NBA world, like on TV again. It's going to be really cool to see him. Um, a mentor of mine growing up. So yeah, just really happy for him. I think that he's going to surround himself around very intelligent people, and I feel like he's got the humility to let other coaches uh, take over when need be. Yeah, I think that's huge. That's a huge person. That's a huge um, thing for a coach to have.
0: Yeah, it's gonna be important uh, for him to hire the right assistant coach. Strano, if I know Jacques Vaughn bon is the lead assistant, even though he was the interim head coach after um, Kenny Atkinson was fired. So he has obviously the rapport with that team, and now being the lead head, or the lead assistant. Uh, it's gonna be interesting to see who he brings on as the, the few other assistants on his team. I know Jay Trandel's name has been brought up a few times. I think he's with the Suns right now, or yeah, he's with the Suns. So it'd be interesting if he joins that team, and that's gonna be a funny dynamic because obviously Jay, uh, being the former head coach for the Raptors and head coach for the Canadians uh, national team, coaching Steve Nash, uh, that would be like a like a funny dynamic. To you want to
1: hear a wild card? Um, possibility that I have. Sure. Mike D'Antoni.
0: Uh, no way. No. He's not,
1: he hasn't signed his extension with the Rockets yet. No. And I feel like it would be on, I feel like who wouldn't want to coach, be a part of the Brooklyn Nets with Katie and Kyrie. And I feel like D'Antoni <laughs> and Nash could have a little reunion. You know, he's fizzling out age wise. He's probably just wants to take a step back from the coaching, from the head coaching headaches and just put on that mentorship hat.
0: Maybe if all 30 head coach jobs are taken, then last resort for Mike DeToni or Mr. Pringles will be to take an assistant coach job with Steve Nash. But I think there's a few vacant roles right now, uh, and I'm sure teams will be interested in, in hiring him because even though we, we'll see what happens with this Rockets and Lakers series, but um, he's just a, you know, offensive savant, know a mastermind in that in that sense so i'm sure any team that's struggling right now and looking to to change it up will will give them a shot or give them a look but yeah that uh that concludes our podcast for today again thanks everyone for listening Um, we will continue to try to give you guys post-game reactions uh for the remaining um games in the playoffs you know exciting times and you know We'll get back to you guys very soon. So thank you, Nat, for spending time with me this morning. And uh, let's go Raps, baby. Let's go. Let's do it. Thanks Thanks to everyone for listening in. Uh, Enjoy
1: your long weekend. Enjoy your Labor Day weekend. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. All right, take care. Later.